Thank you. Well, it really is lovely to be with you this morning, folks. This is the last in our series of Order Jesus. Um, it's an opportunity for us today to respond in a special way um, and also an opportunity for us here at 10 o'clock to uh, enjoy the Lord's Supper. And so my hope is that on the way in you would have received um, the bread and the wine in that very nicely organized cup arrangement. And uh, if you have not got one of those, Langdon will be available a little later so that if you're a follower of the Jesus, uh, of the Lord Jesus and want to celebrate together, uh, you'll be able to do that. Um, of course, Order Jesus is what we're thinking about today, Order Jesus for Eternity. But uh, in the Psalms, Psalm 122, verse 6, it reminds us to pray for Jerusalem in the light of what's going on at the moment with um, the uh, movement of Israeli troops into the Gaza area. I thought it would be good for us to pray together. And so I'm going to ask that we might bow our heads. Um, and I'm going to read for us first the words of Psalm 83 and, uh, and then commit... Uh, the nation of Israel and all those who've been impacted uh, by what's going on in the Middle East into the Lord's care. Would you join me in prayer? This is uh, Psalm 83 from verse 1. God, do not keep silent. Do not be deaf. God, do not be quiet. See how your enemies make an uproar. Those who hate you have acted arrogantly. They devise clever schemes against your people. They conspire against your treasured ones. They say, come, let's wipe them out as a nation so that Israel's name will no longer be remembered. For they have conspired with one mind. They form an alliance against you. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gebal, Ammon and Amalek, Philistia and the inhabitants of Tyre, even Assyria has joined them. They lend support to the sons of Lot cover their faces with shame so that they will seek your name Lord let them be put to shame and terrified forever let them perish in disgrace may they know that you alone whose name is the Lord are the most high over the whole earth our gracious God and heavenly father we grieve at the events that have taken place in the Middle East for the aggression of Hamas for the invasion of Israel, for all those who have been murdered and maimed, for the impact across many families and loved ones. We pray, Father God, that you would have mercy in that region. We pray, Father, that you would be with your chosen people, Israel. We pray, Father, that you would be pleased to eliminate her enemies, that Hamas and Hezbollah and those who are part of the Islamic resistance movement, those who see martyrdom not as the laying down of life, but the murder of others to be stayed. We pray for protection upon the, uh, the innocents, Father God. And we pray, Father, in your mercy, that through the power of your spirit on the move and through the proclamation of your gospel, that many would come to know the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for his enemies. Father, how we pray that you would overrule in this time of turbulence and war. We pray, Father, that this war may be a means of peace and grace under your hand. And we pray, Father, that you would continue to bring us before your throne of grace in prayer and support to see justice done. We pray these things in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. 
Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, there are turbulent times around the world, but um, as we consider what it means all to Jesus for eternity, uh, let me remind you of that first day of January 2000, where more than two billion people saw the word eternity illuminated on large letters on the side of the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And the question I want us to have in mind as we consider this story is where will you spend eternity? Where will you spend eternity? Uh, I've got a photograph of that word. Uh, you may have been there, you may remember it well, but few knew the remarkable story that laid behind that word, the story of Arthur Stace. Stace was born in a Sydney slum in 1885 to alcoholic parents. He was illiterate and he was poor. He served in the military in the First Great War, but on his return, landed himself on the Sydney streets. Uh, he too became an alcoholic, and he learned that food and a warm reception were on offer at St. Barnabas Anglican Church on Broadway. It was in 1930 that States first heard the life-giving gospel, that Jesus had died for his sins and for his salvation. And at that point, there was a new beginning in Stace's life where he turned 180 degrees from his sins to embrace the Lord Jesus. And it was two years later that the evangelist John Ridley arrived at the church. He preached a sermon entitled The Echoes of Eternity from Isaiah 57:15, And he said these words to those who had gathered, eternity, eternity, I wish I could sound or shout that word to everyone in the streets of Sydney. You've got to meet it. Where will you spend eternity? Well, Stace was in that crowd and he heard those words and though impoverished and illiterate, Stace was moved by the Spirit of God to respond and he resolved in his heart before the Lord. His words were, eternity went ringing through my brain and suddenly I began crying and felt a powerful call from the Lord to write eternity. The word eternity came out smoothly in a beautiful copper plate script. I couldn't understand it and I still can't. Because remember, he was illiterate. It's an extraordinary miracle of God at that time. And as it went, he ended up writing on the streets in chalk, that man Arthur Stace, the word eternity, over half a million times. And many, many people saw it. Eternity. Where will you spend eternity? Perhaps the question for you is, you know where you're going to be for eternity. And so the question then becomes, how will I spend my time preparing for eternity, facing eternity? We uh, came, as I said, to this point because we are concluding our series, All to Jesus. We have considered All to Jesus for Excellence, that our excellence in life may be for the exaltation of the Lord Jesus. Order Jesus for everyone, because Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Order Jesus in everything, that everything that we have and everything that we are is a gift from God, and it all belongs to him. What will we render back to Jesus? And all to Jesus for engagement, 
the gifts that he's given us for the common good of the body, the church, and for our community, and how that will play out in how we choose to serve in the year ahead. And finally, all to Jesus for eternity. All to Jesus for eternity. The sermon's big idea today is uh, this. And the guiding verse is verse 27 of chapter 1, in which Paul says to the Philippians and to us, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. We're going to engage with God's word. We always need God's help when we do that. So would you bow your heads once more with me and let's pray to our Father in heaven. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the spirit that you have placed in us who longs to enable, equip, and encourage us to give all to Jesus because Jesus gave his all for us. Jesus gave his all in coming into this world, the incarnation, surrendering his rightful place on a throne. Jesus surrendered himself into a life of service where he proclaimed his coming kingdom. He surrendered himself to death, even death on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins, that we might have faith in his sacrifice and so that we might have forgiveness from you in a right relationship. He surrendered himself to the grave, and yet you saw fit, Father God, to raise him from death to life and life eternal, to have him ascend in the fullness of humanity to your right hand, where he sustains all things by his word of power, and indeed to send his spirit who indwells us and confirms in us our faith in him. And thank you for the promise that he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and to take his people into eternity. Father, please today, would you turn our hearts from the temporal to embrace the eternal. Turn our hearts, Father God, from the temporal to embrace the eternal. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of three points today. My first one is this. We have sought in this series to be data-driven. And you remember, of course, I introduced you last week, the Android C-3PO from Star Wars, as uh, an alternative to the Android Data, Mr. Data from Star Trek. And then I just thought, seeing as this is the last one, let's honor all the androids. So um, I hope there's somebody in there that you might recognize. The nice thing about all these droids is they know the facts. And we have been this month facing facts as Fig Tree Anglican Church. Facts are good. You recall rather like the instruments in the cockpit, which give the pilot data. Uh, the pilot knows his orientation in relation to the earth and the atmosphere. And when the fog descends, that data is essential because if we're told by the data on the instruments that altitude is dropping, the pilot then knows to ascend so that he doesn't crash into the mountains. And we in this commitment month have been trusting the data that has come to us. Facing the facts, some of which have challenged us, some of which have encouraged us, but all of which have been in the context of the saving work of the Lord Jesus, such that when we face the hard facts, we can press into the pain, even though it hurts, but know that we're preserved from harm, because Jesus has the end game, and he's preserved a place for us in eternity with him. So we move into 2024 together with prayerful discipline and in wisdom. We've been looking at some of the priorities that we've had as a diocese for the 2020 vision that was articulated. We've looked at data from 2001 through to 2021. And you remember, of course, that there was a vision for our diocese and for our church, and God had another vision for everyone. It was called COVID, it was not what we expected, but God knows best. 
but some of the elements, the priorities of our diocesan vision were very good. And one of those was diocesan priority number two, that we as God's people might deepen spiritual maturity amongst our members. The indicators for this were two goals, one of which was to see an increase in our members reporting much growth in faith. Another, an increase in members spending time in prayer and Bible reading and meditation. And as we interrogate that data from our church, we saw over 20 years a steady decline in our members reporting that they have seen much growth in faith. And our aspiration under God is that he might kindly turn that around and get us all to a point where we're seeing much growth in faith over the years ahead. Uh, the other goal was that we might see an increase in time of members in prayer and Bible reading, engaging in God's Word and connecting with Him in meditation, all or most days. And as you can see from the graph, that stayed pretty steady. A little dip five years ago, but we've kind of come out of that in 2021. But I also want us to recall that we have had a pretty challenging pattern of decline. We've looked at our attendance figures, which have gone over the last 20 years from around 1,000 to around 500. And we've been challenged by those figures. But we also saw some encouraging signs of an increase in heart amongst those who remain to give generously and to be involved in ministry. And so you will recall that I was sharing with you that there is a natural trajectory in church life. Uh, this was consolidated in a research paper by Macintosh in 2009, taking your church to the next level, where he described the predictable life cycle of churches, what was sometimes called the Uluru model. A church would begin and emerge and grow, and then go through a period of consolidation and hit a tipping point at which either it would begin to decline and then die and eventually end, or there would be an intervention, which nine times out of ten is based on the impact of fresh vision. And then we would see a lift under God and a growth in church, in maturity and membership. And so in time, of course, the hope and prayer is that we would see more and more people hear the life-saving news of Jesus, the goodness of the gospel, embrace it, and churches would then grow. And so it is that this is an ongoing process. We engage with the data, we pray together and spiritually discern under God what is His fresh vision for this next season for our church, and then, together, we walk by faith and in wisdom and in hope. Because, brothers and sisters, our hope is secure in eternity. Jesus has won us a place there. And there's nothing that can change that. And so it is that we look now to Paul in Philippians. Our first reading, we're reminded, of course, as we've looked at the letter of Paul, that Paul's life was one of surrender to Jesus. He's waiting in prison for an inevitable execution, chapter 1, verse 21. He wants the Philippians to be pure and blameless on the day that they go to meet Jesus, chapter 1, verse 10. And he shares with them the adventure of faith in Jesus as both Savior and Lord. The point at which he says to them, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Stand firm together in the spirit that God has given them and us, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. And he goes on to say that a life surrendered with all to Jesus, the one who gave his all for his people, 
So that's Paul and the Philippian church, and you and me today, faith in him is a life that will anticipate some degree of suffering and sacrifice as the price of love that we would share with one another and with others. Because lives turned around 180 degrees, just like Arthur Stace when he heard the gospel. Well, we see and hear how Jesus died for our rejection of God and how God himself, in the moment of faith, brings about a change of heart in us. You see, when we hear that Jesus is Lord and that he has conquered death and is raised to new life, we change our minds about him. He changes our hearts. And, and something happens in us where we turn from sin and selfishness to him as the Son of God. God does that in us. We have a change of mind and a change of posture and a change of heart turning away from the temporal, if you like, and embracing the eternal. When we hear how Jesus died for our rejection of God, how he has conquered death and is raised to new life, our priorities change such that we, we, we no longer have our our minds and our hearts set on earthly things in the same way as we once did. But our minds and our hearts and our postures turn to the heavenly things where our citizenship now is in heaven as we eagerly await our Saviour Jesus to return. And, and that wonderful point from which he takes these slowly deteriorating bodies and transforms them into bodies designed for all eternity. Such is that citizenship. I rejoice in my citizenship in heaven, don't you? Isn't it profound to know that Jesus has earned our citizenship? I love my citizenship here in Australia. I was naturalized some years ago. Sarah, too, naturalized. Our children were born into Australian citizenship. What a blessing that is. I'm also an English man and a British citizen. I rejoice in my British citizenship too. I thank God for both. I'm so glad I didn't have to lose my British citizenship for my Australian citizenship. And one day, who knows, under God, because I am entitled through my Jewish grandfather to make an application for Israeli citizenship, maybe that day will come. But as wonderful as these citizenships of earthly nature are, because it affords us all manner of rights and responsibilities, right? Some of which are the same. Health education, services, even a sense of identity as a citizen, how these just ebb away in the light of our heavenly citizenship. As we turn our eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace because brothers and sisters whatever your earthly citizenship it only lasts a lifetime but our citizenship in heaven lasts for all eternity and so the question for us now is where will we spend eternity if you're unsure about that status let me encourage you to put your trust in Jesus who laid down his life for you because the moment that the Spirit moves your heart to go, Jesus, I'm sorry. Jesus, forgive me. Thank you for dying for me. Help me to live your way. 
You've stepped into a new eternal citizenship that will endure. And for those of us who've had that assurance for maybe months, years, decades, what now as we live out our earthly citizenships in the light of our heavenly citizenship? Well, I think we're given some pointers as we consider Jesus' surrender for eternity. Actually, in just the final words of this letter to the Philippians, note how Paul says, to our God and Father be glory for eternity. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. That grace remains with us forever. But to come to my final, third and final point, all to Jesus I surrender for eternity. Turning away from sin and turning to Jesus is, is like a 180-degree change. It requires repentance. Repentance is to, is to change. It's a change in the mind. It's a change in the heart. It's a change in the orientation. And Stace surrendered himself in Jesus' service for eternity by writing half a million times on the streets, eternity, eternity, eternity. And my question for us today on this Commitment Sunday is how will we be surrendered in the service of Jesus for eternity? Our Commitment series comes to a conclusion today. And as a renewal of surrender, let us consider how we last only a lifetime in these bodies, but how we can impact eternity with our time and our treasures and our talents and our testimonies as we turn from the temporal to embrace the eternal. What shall we expect? Well, one of the things that I don't want us to be naive about is that when we turn from the temporal and turn and embrace eternity, there are consequences. And Paul is realistic about these things as well. In the second reading that we had, when he wrote to the Corinthian church, having written quite a stern letter to them the first time, the second received letter that we have talks about Paul's enduring. He endures in the context of suffering, but he does so knowing salvation and longing to share salvation. And he does so with certainty. Have a look with me as we read these verses to 2 Corinthians again. And the first one is, expect to suffer if you surrender all to Jesus. Paul says we have treasure in these jars of clay. He's just talking about the, the, the frail vessels in which we live. What he describes like earthenware pots. The sort of pot, the sort of plate that you would drop on the floor and it would just smash. There's a, there's a frailty in us, isn't there? In the, in the bodies in which we live. And we feel it and we know it. And yet, Paul says, in us, God has chosen to entrust us with the most profound, enduring gift, the, the unsurpassing power from God, not from us, that is the goodness of the gospel. And so he says, whatever happens in the temple, if, if you're hard-pressed on every side, you're never crushed because you're eternal. You may be, with me, perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always we carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. And so, brothers and sisters, as we turn from the temporal and embrace the eternal, do expect some degree of suffering. To suffer for the gospel, because Jesus suffered for the gospel. And we are in him. The second assurance that we have as we turn from the temporal and embrace the eternal is, is our salvation. Uh, Paul says, 
We, we have the same spirit of faith, that the faith that was declared back in, in the Psalms 116, he quotes here, uh, that Jesus fulfilled the very Word of God and the same Spirit who indwells Him, indwells Him, indwells us, and therefore He says we believe, and so we speak the truth about Jesus because we know the One who raised Him from the dead, and that He will also raise us with Him and present us. This is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, we have salvation, and how wonderful it is to share that salvation. I mean, for those of us who've been walking with the Lord for some time and had the opportunity to share the story of our salvation and have had the blessing of seeing others come into faith in Jesus, isn't that wonderful? Maybe you've not had that. Maybe it would be good to ask the Lord for that opportunity. We, we talked about Jesus for everyone and how, do, how are you going with working on your, your testimony? Is that something that you've spent some time reflecting on and praying on? And maybe you're ready to use it. You just haven't got out there yet. Perhaps it's time to ask the Lord to bring somebody in with whom you can share your testimony, that you might witness the very power of the Spirit as you share the gospel and see salvation in someone else's life. That that may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. And finally, Paul says the context for all this, of course, is the certainty that we have. We don't lose heart, for although outwardly we are wasting away, we're temporal bodies, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day because we're embracing the eternal. And so it is that whatever light and momentary troubles that we might have, uh, this is achieving for us an eternal glory, and it outweighs them all. And so what do we do? Do we fix our eyes on the troubles and the temporal, or do we turn our eyes to the eternal and the one who is waiting for us? We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Not what is temporary, but what is eternal. And so we turn from the temporal to embrace the eternal, knowing that we have certainty in Jesus. And this is a significant reorientation. So what does surrendering all to Jesus for eternity look like in my life? In your life? It's a big shift to turn from the temporal to embrace the eternal in the day-to-day -day walk that we make together. And I want to give us three areas to think about, and one of them is going to challenge us. Building, serving, and giving. And the building one might surprise you. We had the blessing of hearing from Harry just a few moments ago. Forty years ago, we celebrate tomorrow, in fact, for the consecration of our 1983 building on this very site and brothers and sisters, since actually before I've got here, I've been praying and I've been thinking and I've been walking and I've been talking and I've been musing and I've been discussing and listening to many as I consider what it means for this building to have been built in 1983 and then extended in 2003, such that the ministers of those days said, 20 years apart, but together in the Spirit, this building will be available for use, I quote, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, for both church congregation and the wider community. You may remember those words, because I shared them last year around the same time at our Jubilee Thanksgiving dinner. Because these words were quoted in the Illamoira Mercury in 1983 and 2003, Quotes from our ministers when we celebrated 50 years as a full parish together. And this year, I believe, there is a matter to which we as the current generation must attend and that we need to repent. Brothers and sisters, we need to repent. I believe to turn from the temporal 
and to embrace the eternal in both a metaphorical and physical sense. Because we have had our back to the community for the last 20 years. We've turned our backs on our community. What do I mean by this? I think we've made a, a wrong turn. In the uh, original orientation of that fabulous older building that ends at St. Peter's, when that building was built, the entrance was facing out here to the community, saying, welcome. And then in 2003, when we added this section of the building, notice what we did. We turned this way. And this way. Which way do you come into the church building every week? Turning away from our community, and in some sense, turning inward, perhaps, to focus on ourselves? I don't say this to bring guilt, uh, because every church over time naturally inclines to be self-focused, lose sight of the community of which we are part, to turn inward, to invest in and focus on our own needs. It is a natural inclination, according to much research, that church families operate in this way. But in God's strength, I think it's time for us once again to turn to embrace our community, a community in deep spiritual need, a community in deep relational need, a community in deep practical need that we might be reinvigorated by God's grace to share the hope and the love of God in Jesus. A shift in posture, both metaphorically and physically, to turn our face towards our community and to share with them the love of the Lord Jesus that he longs to lavish upon them. I'm asking you to join in prayer and in practical ways the journey ahead with the vision team and the ministry team and the parish council as we discern God's plan for his building for the future. At the very least, I think we must turn and face our community once more that they might know the love that God has for them in Jesus. And above all, that he might turn our hearts to grow us up to align by prayer and his word and his spirit one way in which we do this wonderfully well in his kindness is with our community Christmas carols. The purpose of coming together to do that is that they might know Jesus' love for them, that we as God's people might find a way to bless our community and serve them. And this last year was the biggest carols that we have had in history, where thousands of people came and were served and loved by us in Jesus' name. So can I encourage you, if you've not signed up already, as a practical thing, as a volunteer, let's do this together. Uh, next, I want to speak of serving. Recall last week we talked about order Jesus for engagement, and I seem to have lost my... Oh, there we go. Praise God. Let's come back. Thank you. Uh, serving. You received a, a sheet on the way in, and we committed to pray together about how we might serve in uh, 2024, committed all to Jesus for engagement. And I'm hoping that you've had a chance to spend some time with the Lord and make a decision about how you plan to serve this, week, uh, this year ahead. 
might be continuing in a way that you've been serving for a while, might be something fresh and new. For you, it might be stepping back for a season and relinquishing some ways in which you've served in 23. But let us together, and we've got a sheet here that you would have received on the way in, um, fill out our forms and make our commitment all to Jesus for 24. Um, you'll see that we've each got a form, one each for husbands and wives, for those who are together. And uh, there's pens and there's more sheets coming around from Langdon if you want to pop your hand in the air if you didn't receive one. By the way, if you're a guest and you're here for the first time, welcome. It's lovely to have you. And um, if you're here for the first time, we'd just love to know you're here. So the alternative is that we've got a connect with us card. And whilst everybody's writing down the ways in which they're looking to serve next year, you can fill in a connect card and um, we'll get back to you. So the serving section of the response card relates to the serving sheet. Please fill it in and then together shortly we're going to come up front and uh, place it in the boxes up front here, which have been beautifully arranged with a lovely arrangement thanks to Adele and others. Um, secondly, I want to talk about giving. You'll see on the bottom part of that sheet that there's also giving all to Jesus. Many of us here who are regulars at church give to the work of ministry and mission that we undertake here at Fig Tree Anglican Church. I've challenged us to think about not only our regular giving, but also our retiring and our homecoming commitments. Those are the sort of things that require a discussion. But our regular giving, it would be helpful to know what you're pledging for next year. Again, for some of us, we have capacity to increase our giving. For others, we will maintain. And for others still, it may be that's a season to step back. As you covenant with the Lord God, that is the way forward. I want to let you know that what will happen to these when you've popped them in the boxes is they will be folded in half if you haven't done so already. And then when we receive them, the top section on serving will go to the person who is responsible for that area. But this one that's got your commitment financially on, it'll be seen by two people. It'll be seen by a rector's warden, and it'll be seen by a finance officer. And those are the only two people who will see what you have written on that sheet of paper, so that you know that a suitable level of confidentiality is maintained for those who give with generosity. It is between us and God. So I'm going to ask us to do this together right now, to take up your pen and uh, to pop down on paper, both in terms of service and giving. I'm going to ask us to do that while we play some music in the background. And as I say, if you're a visitor with us today, uh, please do just fill in the Connect With Us card. And then shortly we'll stand together as we are able and come down the front and make our commitment for the year ahead as we surrender all to Jesus. After that, we're going to share in a time of the Lord's Supper uh, 